invite you at this time to turn in your pew Bibles to page 1,899, where we find our scripture reading for tonight. 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 11. 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 11. Continue our sermon series through the book of 1 John, Joy Complete. Hear now the reading of God's holy word. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have heard since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded him. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. I don't know if you've ever noticed this fact, this reality, this thing that is built into creation and the way that it works. But the darker your environment, the brighter a light will shine. You ever notice that? The darker your environment, the brighter a light will shine. You go into a place that's pitch black. All the windows have been blacked out. And you don't need to turn on a, a, a floodlight. You don't need to turn on a spotlight. All you got to do is light a candle. And you, you go like this with your eyes. No matter how dark the room might be, the candle would bring light to wherever it was moved. Now imagine if you had more than one candle. You filled the room with candles. The more and more candles, the more and more that room would come to light. See, the world is a dark place, but no dark place is greater than a single glimmer of light. No dark place is greater than the little lights that we are called to shine. And I bring that up because John, very much like he has done in his gospel, uses those those images of darkness and light in our scripture passage tonight to talk about something that's very important. And that is, he continues his examination of what a true Christian life will look like. And if I could summarize that in a theme statement tonight, this is the way I would summarize it. The Christian life will be marked 
by love for God. And love for people. Now, John will specify in more detail what he means by, what I, what I mean by love of God and love of people with more specifics. Um, but that, I think, is the essence of what he's getting after as he talks about uh, these tests of true Christianity tonight. Uh, the first point we have is the test of obedience. The second point we have is the test of love. This is verses 3 through 6. This is verses 7 through 11. Slurpy time. And then the third vo- uh, point is the takeaways. The takeaways. What do we take away from this? What do we uh, do? How do we seek to apply this? Okay. So let's look at this first point, the test of obedience. Once again, I'm uh, helped greatly, at least in the structure of my sermon and the outline portion of it by uh, a Bible study that Steve Lawson does, where he's right now going through the book of First John. Um, so the test of obedience, the first point made here is the test stated. The test stated, verse 3. We've looked all the way up to this point, 1 John chapter 1, 1 John chapter 2, the first couple of verses. And we know at this point already that there are uh, two conversations going on in the letter of 1 John. There is the conversation about what is it that these false teachers are saying, these false professors, these proto-gnostic teachers who are uh, introducing false teaching into this church And then what it is that a true Christian believes, what it is that a true Christian does, what it is that a true Christian, uh, the way that their life should look and the way that they should function. Um, So John is continuing that. Um, In verse 3, he states the test. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. And so what John is saying here is in the heart of every believer, there exists a desire to obey God. There exists a desire to obey God. By this, we know that we have come to know Him. We know that we have come to know Him. Uh, This is a way in which you will be able to determine if you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. By this, you will know that you have come to know Jesus. How will we know that we have come to know Jesus? The Scripture gives us a number of tests. Um, one of which Paul says is we know that we are belonging to Jesus because the Spirit testifies to us, right? That this is true, right? Um, this, is, this is the test stated. And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we obey His commands. In uh, other translations, English translations, the ESV says if we keep His commandments. If we keep His commandments. Now, the NIV is trying to explain what that means. It means to obey the commandments. But I think saying keep his commandments is is more impactful because it's saying you hold on to, you cling to, you you stand by, right? This is the condition. If we keep his commandments. 
This is the condition of the test. How will you know that you've come to know Jesus if you keep his commandments? Now, we do not keep his commandments in order to be saved, but because we have been saved. What John is saying here is if you want to know that you're saved, you have to keep all of God's commands so that you'll know that, that, that you're, you're saved. No, he's saying if you've been saved by God, your heart will be transformed. And so part of that transformation is a desire to keep God's commands. Keeping his commandments means we are actively holding on to the commandments of Christ. They shape our life. They order our life. They're not suggestions. They're not options. We look at what God commands in his word and we take it seriously. We wrestle with it. Um, and also here it's, it's plural, right? If we obey his commands. Plural here means it's a comprehensive approach. All or nothing. In Matthew chapter 28, part of the Great Commission is Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what? Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. Some things. A few things. The things we like. No. Everything. The greatest thing that we can do in this life as a Christian is keep God's commandments. This is not a burden. This is not something that we should look down upon. This is the path of blessing. This is the path of joy. This is the path of peace. This is the abundant life Christ came to, gave us, came to give us. And so you might hear people say, well, I, you know, I made Jesus my Savior when I was 10, but I didn't make him my Lord until I was 23. Right? People will do that. They'll separate it. They'll say, well, I, 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 get, I made Jesus my Savior, you know, but then I didn't really get serious about my morals in life until I was 23. I made Jesus my Savior, but no, Lord and Savior, that's a package deal. You can't have Jesus as your Savior and not have him as your Lord. You can't say, well, Jesus saved me, but he didn't change me. He didn't change my heart. He didn't change me so that I no longer want to do these bad things that I used to do, and I don't have a desire to keep his commandments. This is an immediate change in your heart when you become a Christian. God has given you a new heart which desires obedience to God's word. Well, someone might say, obedience, you're just teaching legalism, Okay? I'm not under the law, but I'm under grace. That's what God's word says. Um, so let me clarify what legalism is. Legalism is telling people to obey a list of rules that are not found in the Bible. That's one side of legalism, is telling people that you must do this. God says you must do this. But they, don't, they can't point to a book, chapter, verse. They can't. Right? The flip side of it, is that, uh, of legalism, is that they have to keep the word of God in order to be saved. They say, you have to do this in order to be saved. That's the flip side of legalism. That's not what John is saying here. What John is saying here is an evidence or a proof that you know Jesus Christ is that you want to be like Jesus Christ. A, a proof that you know Jesus Christ is that you care about him, and you want to do what your Lord and Savior commands you to do because you love your Lord and Savior. So this is A. B is the test failed. That's the test stated. This is the test failed. 
This is verse 4. The man who says, remember, if you say, or if you believe, if you say, this is the position of the bogus believer, the counterfeit Christian, the Judas disciple, the tear among the wheat, professes Christ but does not profess Christ, does not professes Christ but does not possess Christ. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. The man who says, I know him, the man who says, I know Jesus, I'm a Christian too, confesses to be a believer, confesses to be a follower of Christ, but does not do what Jesus commands is a liar. Now, here's way, one way that we can confuse what, what John is saying here. We all, in some way or another, don't do what Jesus commands, right? We're not perfect. We're sinners. Is that what John is saying here? If you in any way fail to do exactly what Jesus commands, that's proof that you're not a Christian, that you're not a true believer. No. What John is saying here is, if somebody says, I know Jesus, I'm a Christian, but they live on the broad path that leads to destruction. They live a life that marginalizes the word of God at every turn. They live a life that disregards the commandments of Scripture. That their big picture, if you were to take a snapshot of their life, the big picture is disobedience. It's the majority. And John says, is he saved but he's backslidden? Is he he saved but he's a carnal Christian? No, John doesn't say that. He's saying various serious stuff here. He says, he is a liar. John is saying, that person has a dead testimony. He's saying the same thing that James is saying. Faith without works is dead. And he said, if you look at that whole person's life, it is a, it, the majority of it is, is a life of disobedience. A life of not feeling convicted over their sin. A life of not feeling guilty over their sin. A life on the broad path that leads to destruction. The truth is not in that person. And when John says the truth is not in him, he's saying the gospel truth is not in him. Maybe in his head, but not in his heart. Maybe on the tip of his tongue, but not in his life. A profession of Christ without obedience to Christ is fake. It is not real. Faith without works is dead. We are justified by faith alone Martin Luther would say, right? But not a faith that is alone. You should see the evidence of a true faith in a person's life. What does that look like? So this is the test stated. This is the test failed. This is the test passed. If this is what it looks like when you fail the test, what does it look like when you pass the test? Verse 5, but if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. If anyone obeys his word, in contrast to verse 4, this person is keeping in step with the Spirit. They are ordering their lives after the word of God. They're not perfect, 
But they're in process. They're in progress, right? Not just the gospel indicatives matter to them. The declaration of what Christ has done for you. But also the gospel imperatives. They have a living faith. A faith that expresses its reality, its validity, and its actions, its words, its deeds. If anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. You'll see here the word order can be confusing. It's either God's love or love for God. And so um, that may change in some ways how you would interpret this particular verse. God's love or love for God is truly made complete. It's made perfect in them. Um, How are we to understand that? The love of God to be perfected means that the love of God has been poured into your soul by the Holy Spirit. And your obedience is flowing out from a heart of love. You can't love from an empty place, can you? If you have nothing to give, how can you love? If you are an empty shell, how can you love? Love is an overflowing of what you've been given. Love is an overflowing saying, I've got more to give. I've got more to offer. I'm not going to just simply be about myself because I've been so filled up that it's pouring out and over, right? And so there's this interchange relationship of love. You know that God loves you. You love God, and it's out of this love relationship that you keep his commandments. You'll desire to please the one you love. Love is the regular principle of the Christian life. A lot of times in Christian reform circles, we say gratitude, right? Gratitude is the regular principle of the Christian life. What should be our motivation? It should be gratitude, right? But why do we have gratitude? Why do we have gratitude? Gratitude is simply an outward expression of love. How can you be thankful towards someone you don't love? This is how we know we are in him. This is how we know we are in him. If you notice in your uh, NIV Pew Bibles that there's a uh, a colon at the end of this. So uh, the NIV translators believed that this statement, this is how we know we are in him, is meant to be in reference to verse 6. Now, I don't know why they didn't change the verse uh, situation there, if that were the case. But it could also be in statement 2, what was said before. And I think that's what's going on here. John is saying, this is how we'll know that we are in him. If we obey his word and God's love is made complete in us. Uh, By seeing a habitual lifestyle of ongoing obedience to his commandments out of a motivation of love. love. That's how you'll know that you're in Jesus. Uh, And then finally, verse 6, the test demonstrated. Verse 6. Verse 6 says, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. In the ESV it says, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. The NIV makes it a little bit more clear by stating that the him that's in reference is Jesus. 
And also, it teases out that meaning of abiding, um, abiding in Christ. But that's something that's filled with theological meaning coming from John's own writings. Um, and so I think you lose something when you don't say it in that way. When you say, um, he who, whoever claims to live in him, instead of saying, whoever says he abides in him. Because Jesus said, if you abide in me, right? That, that comes from John's gospel. That comes from a teaching of Jesus, the vine and the branches. But, G, but John is saying, whoever claims to abide in him, whoever says he abides in him, must walk as he himself walked, must walk as Jesus walked. How did Jesus live or walk? In perfect obedience to God, both passive and active. And if you know Christ, you are following Christ. If you are in Christ, you're becoming like Christ. You must be becoming progressively more like Jesus Christ. Um, that's a way that you will know uh, that you are uh, passing this test, so to speak. So that's the test of obedience, and that's what I really mean by love for God here. Love for God is expressed in the keeping of God's commandments. That's what it means to love God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. It's to walk in accordance with his law. The test of love. Verse 7 through 11. So the first point here is the commandment. Verse 7 through 8. So he continues, and he says, Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one that you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard, yet I am writing you a new command. It is truth is seen in him and you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Now, that could be really confusing. I'm not writing you a new command, yet I'm writing you a new command. What is John saying here? Well, he begins with the term of endearment. In essence, modeling the message that he's about to proclaim about loving one another. He says, beloved. Um, NIV translate as, translates that as dear friends, but I like beloved. I think we should say beloved more often. I think that's a, t a great term of endearment. Um, he says, I'm not writing you a new command. There's two Greek words for new. There's the word konos which is where we get our English term for chronology or chronologically. It has to do with time. Um, so it's not saying more recent, because this is not the word that John uses here for new. I'm not writing you a new command. He uses the word kainos, which means new in kind. So not new in relation to time, but new in kind, new in type. This commandment is not a recent innovation, um, but an old one. I, I bring you an old one. The Greek word here is the same word we use for the study of fossils. Uh, newness is not the age of it, but the quality of it, which you have had since the beginning. Means from the beginning of your Christian life. Means, John is saying, this is Christianity 101. This is basic foundational Christianity. This is where the buck stops. This is the first lesson uh, this is the syllabus. This is what you need to be told from the get-go, right? 
This old command is the message or the word you have heard. The same commandment that has been preached, taught to them, really from the beginning of the covenant people. And it's... Uh, Message is this, Deuteronomy chapter 6, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and Leviticus 19, 18, to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus will take these two commands in Matthew chapter 22, and he will hook them together, and he will say all the law and the prophets are hinging upon these two commandments, loving God, loving people. Yet on the other hand, right, verse 8, I am writing you a new command. How can it not be a new commandment, but also be a new commandment? It's not a new commandment, but it's a new commandment. In the same way that Jesus gave this message in John 13. It's new in two ways. New in its depth. And it's new in its example. So let's examine this. New in its depth. John 13, 34. Love one another even as I have loved you. It's depth. It's revealed in the revelation of Christ. We're to love to the death. We're to love sacrificially. We're to forgive 70 times 7. We're to keep on keeping on loving one another. But it's also new in its example. John 13, Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. And he demonstrates that in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. So that's the way that this new commandment is an old commandment, but also a new commandment. It's new in its depth, its revelation, but it's new also and it's example. What do we have to look to now? We don't look to David to see for this look at this kind of love. We don't look to Solomon for this kind of love. We don't look to Moses for this kind of love. We look to Jesus, right? Jesus is the par excellence. He is the prime example of living this out. Its truth is seen in him and in you. What does John mean by that? What has been perfectly revealed in Christ will also be seen in the covenant community, Christ's bride, Christ's people. And finally, he says, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Here we get these images, right? These pictures of darkness and light that John is going to use. The darkness refers to the present evil age. As the light of Christ is shining into the darkness, the light will always overcome it. That light is Jesus Christ. The gates of Hades will not stand against the church. The gospel of Jesus Christ will be successful in time and history to bring all the elect to salvation. He will see the fruits of his work. He will accomplish what he set out to do. His life, his death, his burial, his resurrection will not return void. It will accomplish what he intended it to accomplish. Satan has been bound in his ability to deceive the nations. The gospel goes out. Even in the midst of this present evil age. Love here then is a commandment. True love is volitional. It's a choice. We have to choose it. We must do so sacrificially. We must do so even if it costs us. 
And this love between the brethren, the brethren, the brothers and sisters in Christ, serves as an, as an evangelistic function. Um, people see. They will know we are Christians by our love, right? Are we doing it? Are we showing that? John says, Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one which you had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard, yet I'm writing you a new command. It's true the seen in him and you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. So that is the commandment. This next point is the counterfeit. Counterfeit. Verse 9. In verse 9, John says, Anyone who claims to, whoever claims to, remember, this is cueing us in to these are the this is what these false teachers are saying. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever or the one who loves his brother, whoever says that he's in the light. Whoever says this, he's the false professor. He's all talk, no walk. He proclaims to be a Christian but has no evidence of it in his life and hates his brother is still in darkness. So John is saying, if you say, I'm a Christian, but you show no love to, to, to brothers and sisters, to the, to the Christians, you're in darkness. The evidence is clear. The one whom you say... You are joined together with in Christ, the one you are one body with, the one that you say you belong to an eternal fellowship with, but you hate them. It proves. It proves that you are lying. It is one of the primary evidences of being born again is a commitment to love the church. It's a commitment to love other brothers and sisters in Christ. So that's the counterfeit, but this is, the next point is the converted. That's what the fake thing looks like. What's the real thing look like? Verse 10, whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there's nothing in him to make him stumble. Um, this is evidence of true conversion, that you love those who are in Christ. You love those who are fellow Christians. You love believers. And as you abide in the light, that is Christ, you are transformed from one degree to another, that your love grows for the brethren, grows and it increases. There, uh, there's a lot to be said here about ways in which you show that you love brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, I'll tell you one very easy, concrete example of showing that you love brothers and sisters in Christ. You come to church. You come to church. How can we tell whether you love us or not if you don't want to be around us? If you're never around when we're, when we're gathering together. In fact, normal people would interpret that lack of presence as not love, right? And John says, of this converted person, whoever loves his, loves his brother lives in the light. Lives in the light of the gospel. Lives in the light of Christ. Lives in the light of the world. Lives this out. And there is nothing in him, there is nothing in him to make him stumble. Um, I don't think that's a helpful translation because the point that John is trying to make here is there is no cause for stumbling. It refers to your life causing another to stumble. 
One way that you show that you love other brothers and sisters in Christ is that you seek to be an example for them. You seek to live a Christian life that others might not look at you and say, well, they say they're a Christian and they do that, right? They say they're a Christian and they don't take very serious this thing or that thing or this reality, right? So this person has no hypocrisy in their lives that would cause onlookers to stumble. You're setting a worthy example before others that your life, you're realizing, does not only affect you, but it also impacts others. And this is such an important element to John's writing that he'll reiterate it multiple times. 1 John chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, he'll say this. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. We love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. So John is saying one of the primary evidences of being a true Christian is that you love other Christians. You love other Christians. Love will be a badge of our discipleship. It will be a distinguishing mark of belonging to Christ, is loving others who belong to Christ. He'll restate this even more, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. He'll say this, Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Verse 20 of that same chapter. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. This is a very important thing aspect of what John is writing. He's saying one of the evidences of true Christian faith is a deep love for other Christians who belong to Jesus. And then finally, the contrast in verse 11. Verse 11 says, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness he does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded him. If there is no mark of loving Christians, you should have no confidence in your profession. You're a false convert. Uh, you are in the darkness and you walk in the darkness. Your entire existence and way of life is outside of Christ who is the light. And you don't know where you're going because darkness has blinded your eyes, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, says that the God of this age has blinded unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of Jesus Christ. That's what this person is doing. Except they're so blinded that they believe that they're a Christian and they cannot see the spiritual realities going on. They cannot see that they deceive themselves. They cannot see that they are not, they have no marks of being a true Christian. This person who claims to be a Christian, but they're lost. They're without God, without hope in this world. He does not possess the light of the world, which is Christ. So the darkness of this world, the flesh, the devil, have blinded him from the truth of the gospel. He's deceived and deceiving others. He's blind to spiritual realities. That is the contrast. Well, finally, let's end with our third point, the takeaways. There, are, there might be some things that are um, a bit confusing about what John is writing here. But when you take a little bit of time to study it, when you take a little bit of time to analyze 
these verses and you, have, and you take a little bit of time to understand the historical context, what John is teaching here is, is basic Christianity. It is, it's very straightforward. What's, what's hard is not understanding what he's saying. It's applying what he's saying. It's living out what he's saying. So, uh, the takeaways. Number one, open your eyes. Open your eyes. Get your eyes off yourself and upon other brothers and sisters in Christ. Stop thinking about yourself. Stop being so self-centered and self-focused that you're not paying attention to those around you, right? That's always been one of my concerns about the way that we take the Lord's Supper, that we make it too much of an individualistic thing rather than a communion of believers who are partaking of it together. And every time I've gone and visited um, my parents' church, they have communion every Sunday. But one thing that I find so bizarre, so strange about their, their time taking the communion is they just pass the elements out. There's a time of quiet uh, reflection. And then people just take the elements whenever they want to during that time. They don't take them together. They don't take them at the same time. And that's not the way it's supposed to be done. Because the body of Christ presented to us in the Lord's Supper is meant to lift ourselves out of ourselves so that we might think of others. And in fact, that's the very thing that Paul says they were not doing. They were not considering others in their participation of the Lord's Supper. And that's why some of them became sick and even died. Right? So open our eyes. Begin to think about Others. Begin to consider others. Open your ears. This is something that I've got to tell myself a lot. Because my main job is to talk. And I'm good at it. <laughs> like, I talk too much, okay? Like, ask my wife. She'll tell you. Stop talking. I'm trying to say something to you. Please listen, right? Listen more than you speak. Listen to what others are saying. Ask questions of other people. Because questions are, are how you get to know people more deeply. It's how you get to know the situations that's going on, that, that are going on in their life. The things that you can be praying for them about. Get them talking and hear what's going on in their lives. Ask questions and then just let them let them talk to you. And I'm saying this to myself as much as I'm saying it to you, right? Another way we can begin to apply what John is talking about here is open your heart. Feel compassion for others. Be sympathetic. You know, there's... Um, there's something that people who are uh, foreigners who come to the States um, don't realize uh, about our social practices. And that is that um, one of our social practices is this very um, um, cordial interaction where we say, how are you doing? Right? We do that a lot when we, when we encounter someone out in, out in public, even somebody we may not know at all. How are you doing today? right? And what we expect them to say is fine, great, 
How are you doing? Right? And then we become so disappointed when they take that cordial interaction that's just supposed to be hello, basically, and begin to unload all their life problems upon us. But there's something sad about that also, isn't there? And that is to say that oftentimes when we ask the question, how are you doing, we don't really care about how the other person is doing. We don't really want to know. We're just being nice. But as Christians who are brothers and sisters in Christ, who are destined to spend eternity with each other, maybe we should care. Maybe we should have more than a surface level of interaction with each other, but a deep sharing of one another's burdens, passions, and concerns. So open your heart. Another application open your mouth. Open your mouth. Speak words of encouragement. Affirm others. Express love and concern toward others. Oftentimes, I think we think these things about other people. We think, wow, it was so encouraging to to see so-and-so do this. Or, you know, I noticed this about somebody. But what we don't do is we don't often take that next step to speak that to them, right? We just think that they they probably know. They probably, probably know. And we don't realize how impactful and how important it can be to say, hey, I noticed you pick up those communion cups the other day after the uh, communion service. And that was really cool that you took time to, to help with that. You didn't have to do that, you know, but you did, you know. And, and, and I want you to know, I noticed those kinds of things. Um, speak words of encouragement. Speak words of lifting one another up and, and encouraging one another on to love and good works. So, so don't just think people know this. People, people will know that, 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 that this is what I'm thinking. No, send a letter out. Send a note out. Let people know, actually, right? And then another point is open your hand. And James, when he talks about a living faith, he says, if somebody comes up to you and says, I'm hungry, and I've got nothing to wear, and you've got something to feed them, and you've got something that they can wear. But you say, bless you, brother. I'll be praying about that. Go, be fed, and be warm. And then you, you've got a dead faith. And, and that doesn't mean that all of us have resources that we can uh, bless other Christians with. It doesn't mean that we always have money on us to, to give to another brother or sister in Christ. But we do have resources We do have time. We do have a reassuring touch, a hug, an embrace that we can give. So give of your time, give of your resources in a way that shows and expresses your love and care for other brothers and sisters in Christ. And and with that, make sure that your light is shining. As little as you might think it is. This light shows the world that you love God, you keep his commandments, you desire to keep his commandments, to live in line with his commandments, and you love the brethren, you love Christians, you love people. And this light of loving God and loving people is something that works 
evangelistic wonders. It works in ways that show others that God is at work in our lives and that there is a Savior and there is salvation for those who would seek it and gives us opportunities to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that you have given us the light of your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that we would be able to uh, take away these truths with us and apply them in our lives. May we show love to other brothers and sisters in Christ more deeply, more passionately this week. May we, Lord, renew our desire and our commitment to obey your commands. And may we do so out of a motivation of love, your love being poured out on us, our love being poured out on others. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.